evening. My name is Vero, and I have the huge pleasure to read the, a passage of the Bible tonight. Uh, it is Mark chapter 4, and it's verses 1 to 20. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. On your uh, church Bible, it's uh, page 1004. Um, I will give you a, a few seconds to to open your Bibles or open the app. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. The parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times that was sown. Well, good evening, everyone. And thank you, Vero. Very well read. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that we can be here together, and we thank you for your word, and we do pray that you would help us to hear what you have to say to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 
I've just got one very simple question for us to start off, and it's simply this, what is your hearing like? And as I said at 8 o'clock this morning, which has got a predominance of elderly people uh, up to the age of 90, I'm not asking how many people have got hearing aids in church this morning. And I'm not asking that question tonight, how many people are uh, deaf because they've been listening to too much loud music. I'm asking what your spiritual hearing is like. It's a very important question. What is your hearing like when it comes to listening to God? Um, if I can have the next slide, Ben, do you, I don't know if you know this, but you are doing my slides. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Ben. All good. Um, we're starting back in Mark's Gospel, and for the last, I don't know, six, seven years, we've started the year with a Gospel, and it's been a great thing to just go back to Jesus, which is at the centre of our faith, and hear his words, see what he does, and reflect on that for our life. And we're doing that again. We looked at Mark chapter 1 through to 3 last year, and we're picking up at chapter 4 this year, and we're at Mark chapter 4, verse 1, and it's a famous passage called the parable of the sower. And I want to just set the context for us. Mark chapter 4, verse 1, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd had gathered around him so large that he got into a boat. Now, I love being in boats, so I feel good already about this passage. Uh, if you're not familiar with um, Israel, Jesus is in Galilee or the, sea, the Lake of Galilee. He's up on the northern edge uh, at Capernaum. We know that from chapter 2, that he was there doing ministry. And it's a place that he had a great affinity for and did a lot of ministry early on in his time. And there's a huge crowd that's gathered. He's in a boat. It's like a kind of portable stage. And it says, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said. Verse 3, you can see it on the screen. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, this is historically known as the parable of the sower. Now, I'm sure many of us will be familiar with this. Um, it's a very well-known parable. Uh, but I've got a question mark uh, for my first point. Is this actually what the parable is really about? And if you've got your English Bibles there, the ones that are in the seats, uh, if you have a look at the heading there, I don't mind if you've got your electric devices, they won't have the headings. It's worth saying the headings are actually not part of the Bible. They've been put in there to try and help break Scripture up so you can see the different segments. Uh, the one that's in the NIV that we've got has the heading, the parable of the sower. But the question I've got, is that really what this parable is about? Because as we see, um, the sower disappears after this verse 3 and you never hear about him or her again. What is the focus is actually seeds and soils. And there's four soils or you could say perhaps more accurately four planting conditions for the seeds that go in and there's actually six seeds referred to in the parable. You've got seed on the pathway as he's scattering the seed, verse 4, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. You've got seed on the rocks, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It's worth saying he's not actually throwing it onto rocks that are exposed, but rather in Palestine in that area, uh, there would have been soil that had a very thin layer upon limestone rock. And you wouldn't have been able to tell that when you sowed the seed until later when the seed died in the sun, which is what Jesus says happened. It... Um, the sun came out and uh, it died, basically. And uh, in uh, the agricultural seasons there in Israel, they would have had a wet season when they would sow. They had a wet season at the end towards harvest time. But in the middle, it was very hot. And so you would then discover whether the soil 
was that which was actually going to help the plants grow. There's seed in the weeds, verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. And then lastly, verse um, 8, still other seed fell on good soil, it came up and he speaks of three different seeds here. Some produced a crop of 30, some 60 and some 100 times. Four soils, six seeds. Uh, there's a part of me with my engineering background that wants to do a mathematical exegetical analysis of this and think about ministry. That is not why Jesus told the parable. What's it on about? What does it mean? Well, I think the beginning words are very helpful. Um, Jesus is saying, listen. And at the end of the parable in verse 9, he says this, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And so the beginning of the parable, the end of the parable has that command, listen, hear what I'm saying. And this is a parable that's all about what does it mean to hear spiritually? What does it mean to hear God and what is your hearing like? What is the parable about and what are parables in general about? Well, that's my second point and it's worth thinking about this. What are the purpose of parables? Now, I'm sure at Kids Church, many of you came through Kids Church and you might have heard it said that parables are earthly stories with a spiritual meaning. Who's heard that description about parables? Numbers of people? Now, let me say there is some truth to that. They are earthly stories and that's what Jesus was known as, the great storyteller. And he tells all sorts of stories in his ministries. And so there are earthly stories and typically there is um, spiritual meaning, purpose, reality behind the stories. But to simply classify it that way is really to miss the function of parables and what they do with us and how they work in us. Have a look at verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And the reason they're asking, we find out in verse 13, is because they didn't understand them. Verse 11, he told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is sold, said in parables. Now, I want you to think it with me. Imagine you're there at the lakeside, Jesus is in the boat, and he tells you this story about the sower sowing the seed and the four different responses, the four different soil types. And then he says, let he who has ears, let them hear. What do you think, if you're there, you think this parable, this story is actually about? You know what, if it was me, I think I'd have no idea what's it about. <laughs> because he's just telling a story of common life. They go, yeah, duh, um, we know that's what happens. What's the significance for us? Let he who has ears, let them hear. He said, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. In other words, um, a parable, another way you could define it is it's like a riddle that needs solving. It's not self-obvious necessarily. It's not just a simple earthly story that you've got a spiritual correlation meaning purpose to and then he says this striking difficult harsh word in some ways at verse 12 have a look he finishes verse 11 to those on the outside everything is said in parables so that or in order that why well they might be ever seeing but never perceiving ever hearing but never understanding otherwise they might turn and be forgiven now that just seems outrageous 
isn't Jesus the one who loves the world and wants them to come to faith? And yet he's saying, I tell stories so that those on the outside will see but not understand, hear but not grasp. In other words, they're stories that are challenging for people. They're like a riddle. And I think what Jesus was saying is, his parables were designed to sift out those who were actually genuine about finding out about God and those who weren't. They didn't just appeal to people's minds, they judged their hearts. And they worked out because of the way they functioned and the way people responded, whether a person actually really wanted to hear God speaking. Did they really want to hear from Jesus? Did they really want to understand him? They sifted people spiritually. And they had that effect of finding out those who were prepared to think long and hard about the matters of the kingdom of God that were not self-evident. And let me make just a couple of reflections on these verses. Um, Firstly, that saying that you may be ever seeing and not perceiving, ever hearing and not understanding is a prophecy from Isaiah. If you want to read it when you go home, it's Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah is given that word by God to describe his ministry in Israel at the time, which was around 800 BC. And what God was saying is, the word that you will bring Israel will be a word of judgment. Salvation will not come till later. That's your role. And the words you will say will in effect judge them. And Jesus picks up that word from Isaiah, which was, referred to Israel at that time and which was fulfilled in the time of Jesus because until judgment came, which is what happened on the cross with Jesus, salvation would not appear, which did happen after Jesus died and rose again. And Jesus is saying, my parables have that same function. They actually bring judgment on those on the outside. But for those who've got ears to hear, let them hear what I have to say. In other words, it's sifting people's hearts. And as you go through the gospel, it becomes increasingly clear that the message of Jesus is something so paradoxical, so totally opposed to human logic and insight, that it takes nothing less than divine revelation to enable people to grasp it. And if I can put it this way, you can't think your way into the kingdom of God and into God's family. Though your brain will be engaged, you need God's Spirit to work on your heart to open it up to God. And only when your heart is open can you actually hear and understand. And the experience of the disciples shows this reality as the story of the gospel unfolds. And you think about the experience of the disciples all the way through. One of my favourite sayings or descriptions of disciples is in Mark 7... And Jesus is teaching them and they're not getting it again. And he just goes, oh, you can just see him slap his forehead. And he just goes, duh, are you guys so dull? Now, if he was in Australia, he'd go, really, are you that thick? And they struggle to grasp the significance of Jesus and his message, really until he's been raised from the dead and they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And parables perform this sifting function in the people of the day. But I think what's most important to think about today is actually what does this parable mean? 
And what has it got to say about spiritual hearing for us? Well, thankfully, Jesus goes to explain the parable because honestly, if he didn't do it, we wouldn't know what this parable was about. And in summary, it's a parable that's all about hearing. It's not about the sower, it's actually about how you hear. And the four different soil types or places where the seed is sown speak of the four different ways that people hear the word of God. Let's have a look. Verse 14, the sower, the farmer actually sows the word is what he says. And so the seed is the word and the word, which is the word logos in the Greek language, um, appears a number of times beforehand, particularly Mark chapter 2, when Jesus is teaching the word. And it's a reference to the ministry of a, a pronouncing the gospel. We know that from Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2. And so it's here that the gospel is being sown. It's going out to the world. Verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And what he's firstly saying here is beware of poor hearing. You talk to any minister of the gospel and they will tell you they've had literally hundreds of these experiences in their ministry. I've had just so many, it's countless. The people I have talked to and gone through the gospel with and explained to them the wonderful news about Jesus and there's just this blankness. There's a disinterest. Or perhaps there's a polite interest on the day you talk to them, but when you come back to them the next day, the next week, the next month, there's just a sense of, what were we talking about? And though they hear the word, it's literally snatched away by the devil. And I've seen it so many times. And I remember one day, very early on in my ministry, I was down at uh, the University of Wollongong and I was doing some training with some people from church and we were going out and just talking to people about the gospel and there was this poor unsuspecting lady, uh, she was an undergrad student there, probably about 20 years of age and I said, you know, would you like to chat about the things of God? She said, yeah. Um, anyway, I went through the gospel and I said, would you like to find out more? And she said, no. Now, what I should have done is gone, look, it's been great to talk to you. Here's maybe something you can read and just, I'll be praying for you and let it go. But I couldn't let it go. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but it's like, what do you mean you're not interested? And for the next five minutes, I'm going, this is the most amazing story you'll ever hear. It's about how God's come into the world and how Jesus has come for us and for our salvation. It's how he's actually died for you on the cross and your sins and my sins. It's how he's risen from the dead. There's eternal life. He offers it freely. It's all by grace. Heaven is ahead of us. You don't want to go to hell. And she just looks at me with this, like, you are this wild-eyed preacher. Can I get away from you? And it was one of those moments I look back on with a sense of shame, and it's like, that was so unhelpful for that poor person. And we've got to realise this is a reality. And I want to say, particularly pastorally, all of us will have loved ones who Satan has snatched the word away from. I've got no doubt that everyone here will have someone in that category. And many of us will have some very close to us. It might be a child. It might be a sibling. It might be your mum and dad. 
you might have come to faith and you've not grown up in a Christian family. And there is just no interest. Let me say, do not repeat what I did at Wollongong University that day many years ago. What Scripture would encourage us to do is do two things. There are things we can do. One is we pray for them. And that's why we've got Tuesday night on. We want to have a night for everyone who's got friends, family, to pray for them because God can soften people's hearts and make them open so they can hear. But also live in a way that commends Jesus. That when they see you, they see the reality of God's love. They see and experience the reality of God's grace they see something that commends Christ to them so that at some point down the track, they want to find out more. Secondly, though, after talking about poor hearing, Jesus says, beware of shallow hearing. Verse 16, others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I've seen this happen numbers of times. People in this situation listen in such a way that what they hear is taken to heart straight away. They make a profession of faith. And you just see them change. There is this sense of joy, and that's what Jesus says. They receive the word with joy. They sometimes will go out and order a Bible, and you'll see them bring it to church. They're so excited to start reading it. They'll often come and sit in the front rows. They're so excited about church. It's wonderful. But at some stage early on, trouble, persecution, opposition or the reality of what the word is saying to them, what Jesus is saying to them about how they now live, strikes home and they're gone. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories tonight. Uh, They're all from my past ministry. I didn't want to talk about people here in Manly. I don't think that's appropriate. I'm going to tell you about Jeff. Jeff was a uni student. His dad was a Christian. His brother was a Christian. They both came to the church I was at. I didn't know much about Jeff because um, he really wasn't interested in the Christian faith. But there was a period where we had a very, very gifted, anointed evangelist come and preach in the Illawarra. And we had the privilege of having him at our church before this kind of big event that we ran. And we had the place packed. Like I think twice the number of people turned up. There was probably 300 people there that night. And about 30 people went forward and gave their life to Christ that night. It was just so exciting. And I'd seen people who had really hard hearts. And Jeff was one of them who went forward. And he joined the church. And it was just so exciting. And it was wonderful to see the way he was professing his faith in Christ But then after about, I don't know if it was three months, four months, suddenly we didn't see Jeff. Now those who were of his age group and friends, they rang him. Very soon the phone would not be picked up. Radio silence. And Jeff just cut himself off. And you see, the reality was there was opposition, there was trouble because... He was now saying, I'm a Christian. And it was just all too hard. And he stopped coming. And I've seen that happen on numbers of occasions. And my pastoral word tonight 
regarding this situation for any of us here tonight, if you are a young Christian, one thing I want to always say to them is it's so wonderful that you've come to faith. And it's always so exciting to sit with young Christians. But I say, look, I just want you, I don't want to say this to help you. What you need to realise is at some point, the devil is going to come and test you and make it very difficult for you as a Christian. And I say that because of what you see in here, because you see at some point, because of the word, because of our stance for Christ, there will be opposition. There will be persecution. There will be trouble. And the devil will definitely arrange it to happen. And I say, I just want you to be aware this is going to come down the path. And it's amazing how many times I've said that to people. And then honestly, within weeks or months, they've come back to me and said, I had no idea, but this is what took place. Now, thankfully, they've come back because they were prepared and ready. And in many ways, it was kind of like the first testing of their faith. Did they really want to follow Christ? And it actually had the effect of strengthening them in their faith as they took their stand for him. But whenever you see young Christians, encourage them, pray for them, but also just make them aware there will be tough times ahead. Because the devil will come and test whether your hearing is shallow or deep. But then you have the third soil. And I'd say what Jesus is saying is beware of having drowned out hearing. And I really want you to stop and think about this one tonight. Because of all the threats, I think this is the one that is most dangerous for us here at St Matthew's right now. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word. And it's worth saying with weeds, and I've done a bit of gardening in my time and built some gardens, and it's actually very enjoyable. You don't know where the weeds are when you first plant the garden. They just spring up later on. And the other thing about weeds is um, they grow slowly, but typically faster than the plants around them. <laughs> and they suck the nutrients out underneath and they will take over above the ground. And sometimes you go, I'll get to that later, and you never do, and the weeds just take over. And I saw this amazing picture this week of a car that had been left and the weeds had literally grown over the top of it. And Jesus said, like seed sown among the thorns or the weeds, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and it chokes the word, making it unfruitful. I don't know if you've ever felt the experience of choking. I hope you haven't. I've had a few minor respiratory issues where if I eat something, it can make me start, and I tell you what, it's not a good feeling when you are gasping for breath. And when people are choking, they are struggling to stay alive. And what Jesus is saying is, for people, as we're walking with him, and we're hearing the word, there are three things that can choke you. The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. Let me tell you another story. Uh, I've changed the names, Bob and Mary. Very lovely couple 
had kids, got married afterwards, came to faith in quite a dramatic circumstance. Moved area and joined the church I was at. And we were kind of similar age group. And they were lots of fun, beautiful people. Uh, we had meals together. I used to surf with the husband. But one thing that always struck me about them, and I, like, I loved hanging out with them, but I was always struck by how ambitious they were. They were very ambitious. And let me say, there's nothing wrong with ambition at all. Uh, it's a God-given thing to have a sense of drive to want to do things. But not when it takes over. And man, they were very ambitious to get ahead in life. Very able too. She was a psychologist, he worked in business. And she was soon accepted into a PhD for psychology down at the university. He was doing very well at work and was um, climbing the corporate ladder and going up. Bigger job, more responsibility. And when we first met them in the first couple of years, you know, they'd be at church with us every week. But as the job got bigger and as the PhD began, all of a sudden what was every week was now fortnightly. Oh, there's assignments, oh, there's this, there's that. And then it was monthly. And then it was that you would only occasionally see them at church, Christmas, Easter, maybe some special services in the year. Didn't happen overnight. Just slowly, this desire for other things choked them. They moved out of Wollongong to another part of New South Wales and to the best of my knowledge, they stopped going to church. And let me tell you, I've seen this happen number and number of times. I've seen it here at St Matthew's. And I think we can relate to two of these things very easily. The deceitfulness of wealth, another way of talking about it, the, the word means the allure, the joy of money. And there's no doubt that money is both joyful to have in the sense we think it's going to bring us happiness, new experiences, security, but there is an incredible deceitfulness about it because it will never deliver ultimate happiness or ultimate security. And we live in a culture that is just wanting more and more all the time. And so I think we can get why this can choke us, this deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. But it's really interesting, he first says the worries of life. And I was thinking about this and I couldn't help but think about the impact of COVID upon our faith here at St Matthew's these past two years. It's 22 months. And there's no doubt that while COVID has opened up some people to the gospel, there was a real sense of spiritual seeking by some in this period, particularly early on. I think what COVID has done is it's revealed the depth of people's faith and the extent of their hearing. How deep people's roots are actually in the gospel. And I'm not talking genuinely about churches in the country or in the city. I'm talking about here at St. Matthew's. And through COVID in the last 22 months, I have marveled in a number of ways at how members have stepped up in this tough time. How people have endured with ministry. And like I know people here have kept on serving in kids and youth in very difficult circumstances. And you look at the ESL team who are teaching English as a second language with masks and in very difficult circumstances on Zoom, they just kept going. And it's been incredible to see that. And the way people have served. 
I think we all knew online church was not ultimate, it was just necessary and it was always so encouraging to see so many of us log on out of necessity to have some connection in some way with people. And let me just say in the most amazing way, I've been staggered by how people have continued to give generously through this time, particularly when there's been no face-to-face ministry, just a faithfulness of stewardship it's been amazing and it's so encouraging like just tonight to have so many people back in the building which we've experienced today and also just the random spontaneous ways people have cared for those in need all through this pandemic and just loved people it's been amazing but i think we all know that's not the only story of COVID. Our numbers are smaller than two years ago. And that's taking into account the people who, for a whole bunch of reasons, have to watch online. I know we've got people who've got COVID right now who are watching online. And it struck me how the worry, the anxiety, the disruption of COVID has messed with people's faith and trust in the Lord and disrupted their life. And COVID's done many things that have been incredibly unhelpful and at times destructive. I'm sure we're all aware of that. Um, Today, over 2 million people have caught COVID in the country. Who's actually had COVID here, just out of interest? Yeah, I mean, you just look around. 2 million people in Australia. Tragically, 36,000, sorry, 3,616 Australians have died with COVID since it started and many of those in the last three months. COVID has disrupted us, it's changed our patterns of work, it's changed our view on life, it's caused significant mental health issues, it's generated anxiety in people and some are now suffering long COVID but I think from a spiritual point of view what it's done is it's disrupted us and it's exposed what is the real root of our belief and how deep are those roots in the gospel. And what is it that's really most important for us? And I'll tell you what, if you want to ask me what has made me most sad, it's to know that it's been so challenging, particularly for you guys at night, with university experiences, with youth group experiences, that really have been very difficult. And to know that there are numbers of people who were here two years ago who are not here today. I mean, it literally breaks my heart. And the question I've got for all of us in this and through this is, what is it that we really trust in? Or are we being choked by the disruption of COVID and the desire for other things? That's the question I want you to ask yourself tonight. Let me finish with the last soil. Verse 20, others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, sometimes 30, some 60, some 100. And I know I'm looking at so much of that seed here in front of me tonight. You're the ones who are here and you're persevering and it's wonderful to see. But that is the promise that the gospel will not return empty. 
And as we hear it well, as we take it deeply into our life, it will produce fruitfulness in our life. But the challenge for all of us is, will we listen well? What is our spiritual hearing really like? So let me finish with that question I started with. What is your hearing like? Are you really listening to God and letting the gospel take root deeply in your life? We come to a week of prayer and fasting. And I know for some you might think this is a novel thing that Bruce wants to do each year. I can't think of a more important year for us to stop and to pray and fast for the ministry here of the church and for ourselves, for our hearts to be renewed, for disciplines to be re-established and patterns of ministry to be restarted, as well as to pray and hunger and thirst for the salvation and the well-being spiritually of our friends and family who are not doing well, who are being choked by the worries of this world and the desire for other things. And I want to implore you to pray and to give up food, to give up technology, do what you can and seek God this week in prayer so that his kingdom may come in power this year, this week, this month. Because, friends, we need to be a group of people whose hearts are on fire for him so that the church may grow through the gospel. And it will happen as God works in us and as he uses us to reach others. I emailed you tonight at five o'clock. You would have got an email. The office did it for me. But you may have already received it. It's tomorrow prayer points. I've got a Zoom meeting at seven if you want to join us. As Nathan said, we're live in the building at lunchtime. We've got a number of meetings at night in the week. Be a part of it, I pray.